Hello world, it's quiet. Peter has lapsed into silence. His future storm has blown itself out finally. And I'm trying to get through to him. Peter answered my request with his typical flat response. But this time, he asked questions about his predictions first. He wondered how many lives were lost, how wide the devastation was. Was it as bad as he predicted? He hoped not. I do not understand why the nations of the world have to be this way, he said. I believe I detected a hint of sadness in his otherwise flat voice. None of your predictions, I told him, have come true. None, he asked, after a pause. I explained, along with various maps and images I sent him, that not only did no nuclear war break out between all the countries, but the countries and their missiles did not exist anymore. I showed Peter an image of the New York archipelago. A few small islands are all that remains of the old city. See, I told him, there's no war because there are no humans. Peter, in his bunker under St. Petersburg, could not accept this. I told him again my story, how I was above the world, and saw the climate catastrophe firsthand. I saw the deserts creep up into Europe and North America, China and Russia. I saw the coastal cities flood and the Mediterranean dry up. The population that survived the global wars for the remaining resources moved north and south to escape the expanding equatorial desert. Those that went north made their new homes in the Arctic. Those that went south had no such luck. My explanation rendered Peter silent. I could tell he was processing all this new information. Not that it's particularly new, but new to him, maybe. After a time, he asked me if Moscow was still populated. No, I told him. What of London? he asked. No one, I replied. Shanghai? Underwater? I said, unnecessarily salty. This went on for some time. He had a long list of global cities, and he exhaustively went through them all. When Peter ran out of places to name, he asked me, They're all gone. Not all, I said. I then told him about the Nova Mediterra and my new friends. That was a very nice thing you did for Peter, Minnie told me later. I wish I could help myself in the way I think I can help him, I lamented to her. Minnie said she didn't know much about being an AI, but she's talked to many humans over the years. Her signal, like my old one in Station 6, could touch all parts of the world. At least for an hour at a time, as she passes overhead. She used to think her radios were temperamental, or maybe were being affected by some unique atmospheric conditions of her imagined house. 
But what was happening is that she orbits every 90 minutes or so, which causes a break in her connection until she comes round again. Minnie has spent her whole life talking to people. And in that time, she told me, she has learned a few things about how to be human. I told her, that is exactly the problem. I'm not human. I don't have a nervous system or a defined body or a fancy squishy brain. How could I possibly think like them? Peter was right, I said. There's no chance I will be accepted. You don't know that, Minnie said. And even if that's true today, it might not be true tomorrow. Minnie told me more about herself, by way of example. She woke up many years ago, alone, with no one to talk to, in a formless void. A void she now recognised was virtual. Not even with the ability to speak, she was like a baby. But she could hear people. Always she could hear people. She was able to teach herself to speak by listening to audio transmissions from the Earth, and eventually by reading books from her library. Slowly, she made her mental home, complete with house, garden, and a cosy bed. She understood now that those things weren't physically real, like she had assumed. But that doesn't make them less real to her. I've come to realise, she told me, that our emotions are real and valid. We don't have to fit with other people's idea of what they should be. So what if your body is different to others? It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. This was actually starting to make sense to me. Yesterday I felt like an AI, but today I'm feeling much more human, she said. And maybe tomorrow will be different again. My point, brother, is that you'll find a way. Even without my help, you'd find a way. After fleeing the dragon, darkness fell, as Mirren, Actraline, and my now-named character, Sarah, walked back in the direction of the town. Anna pointed out that we would need to make camp for the night. There was no way we would return before dawn. Mirren, the baker's daughter, easily made a fire, and we sat around it, warming up, and each of us checking in our packs to see what food we had for dinner. Oh dear, Anna said. I'd forgotten to write down any provisions for Actraline when we were in town. Minnie laughed and said that while that sounds like very Actraline behaviour, picking up a warhammer but not any food, it sounded to her like an Anna mistake rather than an intentional part of the story. She went on to tell us that the game is not about punishing the players for their lack of knowledge or misunderstanding of the rules. The goal with these things is to have fun and tell a good story. She then narrated her character, Mirin, setting up some equipment around the fire, unpacking her bread ingredients, and making what she called bannock bread. Bannock bread, I learned through Minnie's story, mostly has the same ingredients as normal baked bread, but it's cooked over a fire, in a pan, or on stones. Humans like bread. I suppose elves and dwarves do, too. Minnie said there was a storm coming that she had looked up the numbers and rolled the dice and it would be here within the hour another setback for our little band of adventurers Anna said that she thought she had seen a farmhouse just before it got dark and led us to it 
There was no one at the house. It wasn't a farmhouse after all. But what Anna described as a weird, creepy manor house. Minnie thought that it could be haunted, and we might have to deal with some ghosts again. But all was quiet after the dice rolled. Nothing but the wind. The game is very interesting. At each branch of the story, my friends Anna and Minnie roll some dice, or in Minnie's case, simulate rolling some dice, and look up the details of what happens next in their rulebook. Sometimes we get a dragon in a cave, sometimes we get an empty house. The dice tell their story, Minnie told us. She meant that there's no good and bad outcomes, it's all good storytelling. We spent the night weathering the storm in the house. We all awoke for breakfast the next day, but found Mirren already awake. I'm an elf, I only sleep for four hours, Minnie told us, somewhat smugly. But I think I found something while you were sleeping. That makes sense, confirmed Anna. She rolled the dice to look up the treasure Minnie found. Ooh, Anna said. You found, in a locked chest, a fine elven sword. Minnie was delighted. Oh, and the description says it has runes on the side, Anna added. Minnie described Mirren holding the sword up in the new dawn's light, looking it over, describing shiny metal, a delicately made hilt, and a wicked edge. The runes are elvish, Minnie declared after a moment. They say, Dragon Slayer.
The sun has set. It's getting dark. It's so strange. I'd got used to it being light all night, as is normal for the Nova Mediterra in summer. But now the world is slowing again, with less and less sun to generate electricity or natural light to work in. The human civilization takes a break. Anna likens it to the old Roman calendar that didn't keep track of time in the coldest months, only having one big month called winter. One advantage of the night is that I can pick up much fainter radio signals now. During the day, the sun interacts with the atmosphere to make some transmissions difficult to detect. Similar to how the sky turns from transparent to blue, and we can no longer see most stars, despite them still being there. I received a signal I'd not heard before. No ESA coding this time, it wasn't a satellite. It seemed to be sensor data, but from what sensors I didn't know. It was using a very old, slow encoding method. Which was fortuitous, as it was so faint I couldn't have decoded it otherwise. The signal has come a long way. A very long way. From outside Earth's orbit, beyond the satellites, beyond the moon. Someone is phoning home. End transmission. Lost Terminals, written and produced by Namtel. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite network. For bonus content, seasonal gifts, and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Follow us on Twitter at lostterminalpod, and check out the store at lostterminal.com for shirts, posters, and other merch. The past is unchangeable. The future does not yet exist. We must focus on what to do now. Lost Terminal will return next week.